재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 Saturdays around here are freshly served. We talk about lifestyle and leisure, and more often than not, food and drink. I've got the perfect person for the job. He's Matthew Chung, a chef, a former restaurant owner, a food consultant to all kinds of projects, and just an all-around bon vivant. He's with me in the studio now. Hey, Matthew. What's up, Kurt? So let's talk lexicon today. Let's go and uh, take a term and dissect it to death. And the term Mm. I want to talk about is artisanal. Ah, okay. I was afraid you were going to say, let's parse the word authentic. That's yeah. a much no, longer show. No, that's tougher. Show. But artisanal, okay, this is an interesting one because it means something very specific, but it's also, the term has been co-opted by, mm. various, yeah, by various sort of factions, right? So like artisanal at its heart, it means you know, made by hand by someone who makes this thing by hand and he or she is doing it by hand the way that they've always done it by hand. I'm going to play a quick Rorschach test with you. Okay. Artisanal. Cheese. Okay. I I like cheese. Yeah. That's not really a Rorschach (laughs) test. That's a call and response. Right. But you got what I meant. Mm -hmm. So cheese, uh, yeah, I would have thought alcohol maybe like, Mm -hmm. you know, here in, uh, in Korea. Right. Uh, but I think cheese would be one of the top sort of global things that you make artisanally. And the technique is interesting because like what you're basically doing is you're taking the proteins that are in milk and you're coagulating it, right? Which is essentially the same thing that happens with tubu as well. The process, the manufacturing process is remarkably similar. But more than just that, like when you're talking about the idea, especially of like aging and fermenting, I think this is an idea that kind of transcends just one idea, one cultural idea. And you see all over the world because a it's always been a method of food preservation right like cheese essentially is preserved milk wine is basically preserved grapes and you know in korea you have preserved soybeans preserved cabbage as you know the cornerstones of our diet sure is artisanal and homemade one and the same thing if i make salsa in the kitchen with fresh tomatoes and stuff Did I just do something artisanal? I've been thinking about this, right? Because so I, I'm, I'm doing a, a hot sauce for my wedding. That was like a little wedding gift. We're bottling and we're making hot sauce that for our wild. guests. I like, yeah, it's fun. You know, it's something that you can make in a big batch. But the thing is, I wouldn't necessarily call what I'm doing artisanal because, you know, I don't regularly make hot sauce. And mm. I'm not following a certain... hot sauce school of thought. I'm not following a hot sauce philosophy. And I'm not following necessarily a very traditional way of making it either. Instead, what what I'm doing is I'm I'm, I'm taking what's available to me. And even though I am going directly to the farmer to get the chilies that are going to be going into it, I still wouldn't call it artisanal because I think there's always this idea of repetition and something that's been refined over a period of time. Well, there you have it. The Mm -hmm. word artisan is in artisanal, and an artisan is a person who's got the expertise, right? Who knows what they're doing. Right. Like, I'm sorry, large food manufacturer, but if you put lemongrass in your jelly beans, they're not artisanal (laughs) jelly beans. (laughs) Did somebody do that? Yeah, 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 they did. You know, the the, the big one. And then, you know, things like, you know, a sriracha potato chip. That's not, you know. That's not artisanal. It's not artisanal. That's unusual. It's unusual. Sure, sure, sure. You know, it's, it's hipster. And I think that you, you, there's this weird conflation of the term. The biggest part about it is that it's handmade. It's not mass manufactured. And I think that's the very core of the idea. But then you have all these other small little rules around it that I think differentiate something from being artisanal from being simply handmade. Yeah, there's almost a generational feel to it. Like you should come from generations of mm-hmm. Duenjang makers or whatever if you're going to call yourself, you know, the house of artisanal Duenjang, you know. Right. Expertise is baked into the equation, but 
nonetheless, as you alluded to, artisanal is thrown around like mm-hmm. nothing. It's almost a non-word now. Kind of, right? And you, know, and you also have these kind of very strange differentiations in like different industries, for example, right? Like tailoring. Yeah. You know, it's like bespoke or it's custom. It, but they, you'll never hear of someone calling themselves an artisanal suit maker. Yeah. You know, different industries that have a long heritage of doing things the hard way. I think they've created their own terms for it. But I think you see artisanal most in things like food. And then you'll see it in all the kind of like housewares too, right? Right. Soaps, candles, and the like. It's a word you use to give yourself gravitas in a way. We talked about bespoke a long time ago, Mm -hmm. didn't we? Right. So it's like bespoke, you know? You can't just slap that word on anything. Same with artisanal. Let's talk about really genuinely things that can and should be artisanal mm. cheese you said yes cheese and then you know i i think that you know one thing that we i think we talk about every week regardless of how relevant it is or not is charcuterie is charcuterie. cured meats yeah. and i think I, I things like this too because you know they're they're tricky you know in making cheese curing meat preserving soybeans it what you're doing is manipulating nature on that kind of microscopic level and so you really do need to know what you're doing because it's not a matter of stirring three times versus stirring four times or it's not a matter of having that sort of dexterity it's about having an intimate knowledge of that product to know how it's going to behave you raise an interesting point with everything that you've said charcuterie and so forth You're outsourcing part of the process to the environment, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's the bacteria floating in the air or the sunlight that dries the tomatoes or whatever it is you're doing, you are somehow manipulating a natural process or you're dry aging the steak or whatever. It seems to be that, uh, you know, when you're doing artisanal stuff, somehow the environment is your partner. Absolutely. And I've, I've, I've long said this, that the idea of fermentation or aging or any of these similar processes, you know, making cheese is kind of like falling in love, for example, right? Because, okay, this this holds. I'll explain my thought process. So just like humans bumping into each other every day, you know, there are these certain conditions that have to be met and the two types of people need to bump into each other at the right time Uh to be able to create something really fantastic. Sometimes when two people bump into each other, nothing happens. Sometimes when two people bump into each other, someone dies. But when you have all the conditions right for something like fermentation, it's like two people just coming together at the right time and falling in love. Bumping into each other at that intersection and then three months later, you've got a good Roquefort or something like that. Exactly. No ships in the night here. (laughs) Okay. So it's a process, and it involves nature, and it involves the right conditions. Mm -hmm. Just like falling in love, it has to be the right temperature. It has to be the right timing. Uh, Yogurt. I make artisanal yogurt. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that's artisanal when I make it because I heat it just to the right temperature, and I wrap it up, and a couple hours later, it's yogurt. That's Absolutely. And, you know, and the thing is, is that, like, it it makes sense why things made artisanally are now made on a mass manufacturing scale. Because I think part of what makes things like yogurt making artisanal is is that at one point, no one knew what was going on in that yogurt. Right. No one knew that it was like a little lactobacillus, you know, at the right temperature, at the right moisture hydration level. But you can now take all these things that we used to make artisanally, kimchi, tenjang, and you can, you can apply hard industrial science to it. Mm. But that takes all the romance out of it, honestly. I mean, like, you, you could break all these things down into its base science, but back then it required 
intimate knowledge and experience. There's the art. Right. You know, you had the, 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 the feeling for what you were doing in the days before, you know, thermometers and Bunsen burners and all of that stuff that you use in the modern food laboratory. Right. I mean, what's that saying that any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic? Yes. I think you can work backwards, though. Anything that requires that kind of advanced technology that we used to do back when we didn't have that available to us must have seemed like magic back then. Yes. Mm -hmm. Where is the modern showcase of the artisanal, do you reckon? Oh, the market, for sure. Like, for me, like, like Korea's food scene, our entire food identity, I think, can be found, its epicenter is the market. The traditional market. The traditional market. And to a certain extent, modern hypermarkets and department stores as well, because I think they all spring from a similar idea. You know, so even in my neighborhood market, let let me count what I can find there. There are two artisanal tubu makers there. There's some. There's a place that sells uh, was just handmade, you know, small batch tenjang, and then there is a chantongju, a traditional uh, spirits like uh, you know yakju and chakju sure. maker in my neighborhood as well. And it's not a very large neighborhood. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Traditional markets and small places tend to be where the competitive advantage is not in scale or cheapness, but it's in the talent, the artisanal touch Mm -hmm. of the person who's doing it. Uh, One of the favorite things in my old neighborhood was this guy had a little tiny corner shop and all he'd do was smoke and steam. I guess it wasn't steam. He would fire up and smoke kim all day. Mm-hmm. He had sheets of kim seaweed, and he would hold it over sort of a smoke can and flip it and flip it. And that, that was all he did. Right, right. And I think that there are, there are a lot of very interesting products that are available out here. For, for example, right, I think one I always keep coming back to is the idea of korbengi. Like uh, whelks, you know, mm. uh, sea snails, essentially. And they mostly are eaten canned yes. here in Korea. And there are certain pockets of, uh, what is it, certain neighborhoods that are famous for, you know, these k o r b i n g i restaurants. But a lot of these factories, I actually visited one or two, a lot of them are still being done by hand. You're plucking them out of the... Plucking them by, by hand, you know, uh, was it a line of maybe about five or six employees. Wow. And that's all they're doing all day. And it's still done with a f- large amount of care. It's amazing how many kolbengi end up in cans, and Mm -hmm. that's actually being plucked out by hand. You would think there would be some vacuum that would just suck them out all at once. I'm sure there are some companies that are are using more mass manufacturing techniques, but at least the factory that I went to, and it's a brand that I've seen in most hypermarkets. It's a pretty widely available brand, still being done by hand. We had uh, Tony Yu, the chef in here, Mm -hmm. Uh, Yu Hyun-soo, I think his name is, Mm -hmm. um, in Korean. And he was uh, talking about, I said, what's the essential? He's on that refrigerator show, right? Mm, right. What does everybody need in their fridge? And he said, soy sauce. Right. And I said, what is your, you know, sort of your passion in the realm of food making? And he said, soy sauce. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is perhaps the ultimate artisanal thing, isn't it? I mean, because you... You've got what? Salt, soybeans, and air. Mm-hmm. And those are your three ingredients. Right. And I think if we're talking about artisanal foods that our listeners can go out and experience like right now, if they, if they went to the right place, I think aged soy sauce has to be one of them. Yeah. I mean, for one, just your regular kitchen soy sauce here in Korea, you have num- already a number of different varieties, right? Mm-hmm. Ones that you specifically for soup, ones that you use specifically for just dipping. But once you start going into the idea of aged soy sauces... 10, 15, 30. I've seen up to 100-year-old soy sauce. Uh, uh, And, of course, it's blisteringly expensive. Right. It's it's more than wine. It's more than champagne. But there is a difference. And, of course, mind you, 
I, you know, the hundred year old soy sauce is not what I'm dipping my convenience store kimbap into, but it's, it's its own thing at, at that point, if you're using it in a dish, it becomes the center of the dish. At that point, if it's a hundred year old soy sauce, aren't you just taking it in little tiny teaspoons and savoring it just as itself? I mean, you kind of have to, I mean, at a larger volume than that, it'll just be way too intense because Mm -hmm. it just, it slowly just starts reducing over the years, over the years, over the years. And, you know, and it just continues to evolve and transform. And, you know, every couple of years or so, it just kind of morphs into a different thing. And those soy sauces become sort of mother sauces for future generations of soy sauce, right? They become the bacteria culture for your future Uh, soy sauces. Do I have that right? If you're if you're maintaining them correctly, like if you're pasteurizing them, then you're killing all. Then you'd be killing off all the microbes in there. But at that point, you're not really aging it so much as you're really just conditioning it over time. Mm. Yeah, and I think that, that there's a, there's a slight difference you know, when you're really talking about aging something. It's still active over the years. But if you're talking about conditioning, then it just kind of mellows out due to things like oxidation and just you know time and temperature. Yeah. Throw me another couple of uh, Korean foods that are super. duper artisanal almost inherently so one i really like and one that kind of took the chefy world by storm about 10 years ago but still i don't think has really quite hit the mainstream population yet is black garlic I love this stuff. It's absolutely delicious. Is it literally black? Literally black, literally garlic. So what you do is you take garlic, and it has to be good quality harvested garlic, and you age it at a very specific warm temperature over a long period of time. And what happens is that, and when I say black, it turns pitch black. It looks like asphalt. It becomes gooey and molasses-y, and it just becomes very, very sweet. It almost tastes like balsamic vinegar. Really? Right. And there are a lot of different applications. You can eat it whole or drink it as chip, as like a juice, and you know, it's, it's said to have a lot of health benefits. And then was, you can make like a jangachi out of it, you, know, you can marinate it in like a soy-based uh, marinade. Or you can take a Western application to it. I know that what a lot of uh, restaurants were doing in the West were doing things like making vinaigrettes out of it, or you know, like folding it into something like a mayonnaise. Yeah. I feel like I kind of want to chuck that into tapenade. Oh, it'd be fantastic in tapenade. Yeah, absolutely. I think I've actually seen like a black garlic tapenade like on a burger before. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it's super like just full of those glutamates, giving it that really nice round meaty flavor. Yeah, and as a result, it goes very, very well with, you know, things like grilled meats, i.e. like a burger. I would think you'd need some really specific kung fu and gear to make that because you can't really fool around with garlic. If you Mm. let garlic go off... Um, it gets almost dangerous in a way. Right. Botulism is a, is a real worry. Um, this, for this process, it's not quite as big of a problem, but where the artisanal knowledge comes in is, is that, you, yes, you actually can make it at home by putting it into a rice cooker for a couple of days, uh, but it's not really quite the same. It's, it, it, you, you can tell, not even, I, I don't even think it would require a side-by-side test. I think you could tell the difference between the two, but if you're talking about really... handmade artisanal black garlic. It's aged for over a month in these really warm chambers. This is what the world is kind of discovering, but uh, we'll come to appreciate about Korea more, I think, is that this is the epicenter of scientific fermentation for health and culinary benefits. Don't you agree? Oh, absolutely. Korea is where it is at. This is where people know how to ferment stuff. And perhaps you can bounce off of fermentation to the word artisanal and find sort of a grounding for it because Mm -hmm. it does get thrown around a heck of a lot. I think we've achieved something here today, Matt. Thanks for coming in. Always a pleasure.